Welcome to Miss Yassars and Abs. I'm Kevin Weir. I'm Erin Weir, and this is a teen drama nostalgia cast. I'm nostalgia for the show we just watched last week. Yeah. I mean, well, get... think about how long ago we watched the first season. Did so, man. Immediately on the tangent, did you know that for a time, I want to say the British Army, um, nostalgia was a thing that they would like warn you against. Oh, nostalgia is bad for you because it would it's kill true. you. It would kill you. <laughs> they, there are people in the British Army that can that their official cause of death is nostalgia. Hmm. And so they warned people against being <laughs> I mean, being nostalgic. Judge John Hodgman also thinks nostalgia is dangerous, but I don't think he thinks it'll kill you. You know, I mean, this is obviously old, like old, old, war, old war but, stuff. So these are but... men who went to war and then just thought too much about being at home and like were not focused on the war and then they died in the trenches? No, I think they there are some, I mean, literally what, it's, it's very much the way that they kind of treated hysteria for say, women is this akin to dying of a broken heart it, it is <laughs> is akin to that i mean i have not done super uh deep research into nostalgia at nostalgia as a disease um but it was or maybe they just called it a disorder oh my god now that we're having this conversation i just have to copyright something i'm going to write a teen dystopian novel about the disease of nostalgia <laughs> and that's why the teens are the only ones who can save the world because they're not old enough to have nostalgia. So, so, so you are going from the uh, <laughs> from the point of view of nostalgia bad. Well, in this book, I mean, there there is. <laughs> I mean, it seems like it's one of those things that would that come out and it would be like, ah, but you know, it's actually. Nostalgia means nothing without the people who actually do something with it. Exactly. But it's going to be a thing where people just like lock themselves in their bedrooms listening to 1990s songs or they actually go off in search of waterfalls instead of sticking to the rivers and the lakes that they're used to, which I know is a song about AIDS, but. Okay, so they're just doing doing TLC. Yeah. Is that something about AIDS? I'm pretty sure it is. Unprotected sex. I I think it's about don't AIDS. Think I don't think waterfalls is about AIDS. <laughs> I'm just gonna take. Uh, I mean, it came out in the '90s, and in some way, everything was about AIDS in the '90s. But... It's true. It was a scary time. It was kind of like now with COVID. Mm, that's an analogy I shouldn't make. I think it was. It's mostly just. <laughs> I guess kind of a song about. <laughs> I, I, the, the thing is, saying in a way that's not the TLC song makes that a lot worse, which is, hey, stick to your lane. Waterfalls is an R&B song written by the TLC band. Mm, doesn't say that. Written by TLC band member Lisa Left Eye Lopez with Marquise Etheridge and Organized Noise, who also produced the song, dot, 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 dot. The lyrics of the song refer to the 1990s issues such as HIV epi- AIDS ep- epidemic and violence associated with the illegal drug trade. Yeah, what I got here is the song, ta- the song, <laughs> the way they say it is, the song tackles issues, which is a weird way to refer to a, uh, something that's two minutes long. Actually, four minutes long. It's a four minute long song. Yeah. Four minutes and 40 seconds. Uh, it, it tackles issues of illegal drug trade, promiscuity, and HIV slash AIDS. So it's a lot of stuff. Maybe we need to read the lyrics. <laughs> I mean, not on this podcast. We should no. each go away and read the lyrics in our own time. No, on my, on, and then come back. On my other podcast, I already did the reading through the lyrics of Kiss by a Rose. 
uh, I can't do on this podcast as well reading through a 90s song. <laughs> this is an odd trend, and I have not listened to your podcast this week, so. Yeah. Wow. Anyway, uh, I don't think that much about Waterfalls, honestly, so I'm not too concerned about that. Uh, so my nostalgia book will not be not be helpful to you. No. And also, you don't like song or books about teens saving the world. You probably don't like songs about teens saving the world either. I mean, no, usually the problem that I have about uh, books where teens save the world is that the... <sighs> Is when they're poorly written to such a way that it makes no sense why the, the teens, teens are doing are... it instead of the adults. Yes, yeah. The but on the other hand, then usually if they're they have very contrived reasons. Like here's the thing: Hunger Games makes a lot of sense because they're the ones being mostly affected. Really, though, and, really, some of those adults should be doing, and they do eventually but, do but something. The thing with the Hunger Games is. She doesn't do a lot. She's really just a symbol that the adults are holding up. Yes. Uh, in the first one, it makes a lot of sense why it's teenagers is what I'm saying, I guess. Yeah, because that's how you punish a nation, by being like, we're taking your children away. Yes. We're it, killing your children. Yeah. Um, but there are some ones where it's very much like, why isn't the... Why, where is any responsible adult? Though, once again, that's also the the function of YA to show this. It so shows just, teens. Just explain it well. Yeah, it's teens' disaffection with adults being useful. So you portray them in a way that's uh, that's unuseful, and it's a whole thing about YA. What do you think of the hundred? I <laughs> have you not watched it enough? Have you? Well, no, <laughs> mostly because it has no interest to me, and I still can't grasp its central concept central concept is uh people can be terrible but they can also be good no no, no okay okay fine not the central theme Aaron. oh do you the want central to... plot concept well it does change every season okay yeah but what is the impetus to the entire series known as the hundred well there was um nuclear reactor meltdowns on earth so all of the humans went up to space stations and okay. all of the human race that's left lives on a space station okay however the space station is failing more yeah. quickly than they intended and they thought they don't think the earth is going to be safe for habitation for a hundred years okay but like their space station is failing they better get some people down to the earth yeah so um on the space station when people break laws if they're adults they're sent they're floated they're sent out to space they're okay. killed because yep. they resources are finite yeah but when children break break laws they go into prison until they turn 18 because I, they don't want to kill children are they then floated no then they're like welcome back into society okay. they get a second chance i do, I do I like that in this weird pseudo dystopian future they still have a um a what's what's it called the uh juvie yeah children need to learn to do better yeah however now that the space but station... still still in still in jail well but they learn in jail they go to class okay they're just juvie juvenile delinquents <laughs> so um the space station is failing so the leadership of the space station decides that we got to test the earth mm -hmm. maybe maybe it healed faster but who can we send to the earth and we want to tell people the space station is failing because there will be mass chaos yeah so they send the prisoners. Now, do they just send them out as essentially canaries in the coal mine? Yes, but they have little bracelets that can communicate with the uh, the main station. Like, essentially what I'm trying to figure out is that, 
are they sent out being like, well, they're going to have to do some things as well. Are they sent out as, do they live or do they die? So they think they're going to live. They've done like preliminary tests, mm-hmm. but they need humans. So they're like, okay, we're going to send these humans and the humans will tell us. Unfortunately, they sent teenagers who are also juvenile delinquents. So they will take their bracelets off and like party on Earth. Yeah, it just, like, <laughs> it just seems like an, an amazing, like, don't get me wrong, I understand. You, say, you don't know if it's safer. I mean, they clearly, you said that they do assume they're going to live. They're pretty sure it's safe. Like it just, but it, like there's definitely a. It's it's just it's the equivalent of us being like, well, we got to send someone to the moon, but it could be dangerous. So what we got to do is send up these teenagers because they're in prison and no one knows where they are. Yeah, it won't cause chaos. <laughs> well, yeah, but you you don't think they have any? Let's just say like experts on the like the, the idea that they're like, oh, the only people that we can send that no one will notice is missing are the teenagers and not just could this weird kind of totalitarian government could it just be like yeah i don't know he's working off on another part of the station don't ask questions should i also tell you that they send like the head doctor's daughter and also the son of the um like essentially president why don't they just send the head doc not the head doctor though you want to do that but it's like the second in charge doctor well no they send the children so they're like well so the children both got in trouble yeah. clark got that's the doctor's daughter she yeah. got in trouble because she found out the space station was dying and was going to tell everyone okay so they're like well we better send her down but she has medical knowledge so it'll be okay and she's responsible she surely will not rip off her bracelet <laughs> does she have medical knowledge or is she the daughter of a doctor she learned some things at home okay well <laughs> Just when you the way you explain it to me really does make it feel like they're like, well, she's the daughter of a doctor. She's got to know some things. <laughs> it's it it just here here's the thing I'll go get about the hundred. And obviously, it is popular enough to keep going, but I feel like it probably has a very interesting bar of entry. It is it. It takes some time to get into it, and then once you get into it, it's forever changing. But one of the cool things about the 100 is because it's in the future. Like, it's probably, like, 300 years in the future. Um, Sexuality is, like, they're pretty chill about it. Like, Clark just dates whoever she wants. If, uh, you know, two guys date, no one comments on it. No one thinks about it. So they have a cool gaze on that. If you're on a, uh, a, you know, a, a colony spaceship above a planet... At a certain point, you just probably stop caring about that. But should I also tell you that there are people who live on the ground? In the space, people call them grounders. I have I figured that out being a thing because obviously my roommates watch the show, so I so like the it it's sort of from looking at it, it has the what I like to call uh, old future stuff, mm. where the idea being that it is a technologically advanced world. But because of certain regressions and stuff, it's all they all look like they they would fit in on Game of Thrones pretty well, except for the you know fully automatic weapons. In many ways, yes. When they're on the space station, it's a lot of like leather and a lot of like um, well, I would assume pleather. It's a lot of like um, stuff that they can produce technically, not yeah. stuff that comes from the Earth. And on the ground, they're not technologically advanced at all. Because when the nuclear reactors mm-hmm. happened, they lost all technological advancements and had to start from scratch. Yeah. It feels like the like it feel like the thing is like it feels like it is something that has it's weird it's weird to say it this way. It has an interesting concept, but a weird jumping off point. It is yeah. When you just explain the plot, you're like, huh. Like like essentially essentially the story 
it's the idea of like think of it this way this is the idea where an apocalypse happened and a bunch of people fled the earth being like oh god the earth is the earth is doomed but then the people who stayed behind didn't all die correct some and then, people have like a natural yeah immunity and then they essentially re-meet 300 years later mm-hmm. both different like both from the same thing and also very close to each other but also very different but also very different is a cool sci-fi thing then all this weird stuff of like, well, we had to send the 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 teens down. We had to send the bad the bad teenagers down. But then you down. get these cool conflicts later, where like the teens are the ones who are on the ground, so they they've actually learned how to like navigate in this world better than the adults. So they've yeah. become the experts. But the adults look at them as your children. What do you possibly know? Yeah, I, and that is interesting, <laughs> but. <laughs> Getting to that point takes so much it weird... It does not it, take that long, it, it, though. Well, it's almost like I thought it would be better that if the um, if the impetus for this was more of, like, okay, we... Uh, people, can, people commit crimes to get space out into space, but we don't want... We don't want to kill... It's a hypocrisy, obviously. We don't want yeah. to kill the teenagers. We'll yeah. just launch them down to Earth, which is probably fine. And then the teenagers figure out it's fine and communicate back with them, and they're like, oh, snap! <laughs> <laughs> and then this still gets you in the positions you want them to be in, but without this weird additional... <laughs> thing i think you should watch it and we should talk about it but not on this podcast moa don't want to by the way this episode is just going to be us talking about the oc and i guess teen dramas in general that's why now what we should tell you moving forward we're not going to watch the 100 no this 100 content you just got is what you're getting We we try to stay away from anything that's too fantasy or sci-fi because there's a lot of rules that they can kind of Break, break or create or create and it's it's a thing where we we i really like sci-fi and fantasy like i, I would too. i would love to watch one of those but we're trying to do we're trying to we're trying to watch shows that are trying to do drama within real constraints and we are trying to apply reasonable logic to the shows we watch and sci-fi fantasy shows have the luxury of creating their own logic. Riverdale does not get to create its own world logic because you're trying to tell me this is this world, except some things are named different things. Yeah, except for magic does exist in Riverdale. It just doesn't exist in Riverdale. But it could at any time. At any time, magic could come there. <laughs> we don't know. Yeah. Any new character could be intrinsically magical. We have to be careful about that. We have to, we have to watch them, which also means Katie Keene had magic in it. Uh, <sighs> any any sort of thing that they tie to Sabrina Universe, magic and Satan exist. Exist. The devil could just appear in Riverdale, and like he's kind of chill. He's not the worst. Yeah, I think we said this before. But, like, my main problem with that is because Riverdale uh, does this thing where they like to put stuff up as, how is this possible? Like, this can't be possible unless magic is possible. And then the idea is that eventually you just reveal that, no, actually, it was, a, did it. it was a drug or it was this thing. But the problem is in a world where magic is possible, I would just assume, well, then it's magic. Yeah, just do the magic. Yeah, just ma- you, magic happened. And I think Riverdale moment. would actually be way cooler if all of the goofs that we put out there, that Cheryl is a vampire and Archie is a robot and Jughead is a ghost. Yeah. 
were real. So essentially, you just want them to do a film version of Monster Hearts. Yeah, <laughs> just... but Monster Hearts High. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. That, which is what uh, I think Critical Role did on Monster Hearts High. Yeah. I mean, Monster Hearts, you are really in high school is the way that they usually portray it. People are just usually like playing it at college level because it's less gross as a full-grown adult mm, playing, playing college students having sex than yeah. it is to be playing teen uh, high school students having sex. So what I'm taking from this is that I just want every TV show to be either The 100 or Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I mean, it, it, if you're going to watch something fantastic... Magic. I just <laughs> like if I'm do If there's a made-up story, I want anything I imagine could happen within the rules of the magic. Yeah. 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 I mean, Riverdale just wants itself to be unconstrained, but it is constrained because they're in the real world. <laughs> so speaking seasons. of magic, there's no magic in the OC. Nope. Other than the magic of the well, journeys we saw these well, characters take. I mean, canonically, I think we do have to assume there is some sort of psionic abilities, though. Yes, because there was the shared mini-coma. A, well, not only was there the shared mini-coma, there did seem to be a shared fantasy between uh, Ryan and Taylor after the mini-coma. Remember when Ryan imagined himself running into seeing Taylor? Oh, And then she right. also was staring off like she was seeing something, to the point that Henri says, What are you looking at? That's true. After they had their mini comas, they did have a psychic connection. Yeah, so that is true. But I mean, here's the here's the thing about uh, about psychicness. That's just sci-fi. Yeah, it's if fine. It, if it's magic, it's fantasy. If it's psychic, science fiction. And if anyone Looper. was going to have that, it would be Taylor. Come on, <laughs> if any character on this TV show evolves to the state that they can have sci-fi psychic connections, it's Taylor. <laughs> Taylor Townsend. Yeah, Taylor could probably do that. Uh, but yeah, so. Well, obviously we're 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 done with the OC. We're we watched all of it. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's now just going to be shelved away in our brains. And I I'm not going to make the joke that we that we have been released from the curse because it was honestly, good. OC was a fine watch. It it was it got a little bit rough in season four. Uh, season three was not as rough as some as of the response claimed. I liked season three. I didn't like the Johnny death. Yeah, I, well, the the problem is this, the problem with season three was really Marissa because they didn't know what to do with her character, so they just did her character the same way. Yeah, she basically did season one again, again. but this time she was new and Ryan wasn't. Here's the thing with the OC: it is always better when Ryan and Marissa are not a couple. It is, yeah, because they are so ill suited for being like the center romance of the show and it's not that they're from different worlds it's just that marissa is so unhappy with herself yeah that she cannot be with anyone and the show did no work to try to make her happier with herself yeah what it really comes down to with marissa as a person and as a character i guess more more of as a person because as a character it's very interesting and the only problem was that over three years not having that go anywhere becomes a very mm-hmm. boring character marissa as a person uh, she relies too much on her relationships. Yeah. Kind of. Like, like, and I don't mean relationships as in friendships. Obviously, everyone should have good friendships and the family things that. But like, I mean romantic relationships. On boys. Marissa, yeah. Marissa defined herself. Yes, because of Alex. Because of Alex, yeah. Marissa did define herself based on who she was with. Yeah. The best Marissa we ever got was actually Marissa in season two 
when Ryan was away and she was just hanging out with Trey. Like, just friendship with Trey. Yeah. Before he became in love with her and yeah, that yeah. happened. But, like, when she was just chilling with Trey, or there were a couple moments in season three where she was just friends with Ryan. There there was a honestly good good time there where it really seemed like we had moved on from Ryan and Marissa. I think it was probably when he started dating... Uh, Sadie. I don't think Sadie... Um, I think it was Lindsay. Lindsay, yeah, yeah. You know what? He and he and Lindsay were really well matched. I understand why that ended. Yeah, but that was that was a good pairing. Yeah. So it's. I want to talk about something I feel like we missed in season four. Sure. So I understand their season was probably shorter than they envisioned, and they did some pivoting, and I did like during the earthquake episode where. Um, they were, like, stumbling along, and Seth was trying to make, like, top ten lists of basically past characters. Yeah. I wish we had less crunchy P- Chris Pratt and less Holly, <laughs> and they had brought back Alex, Lindsay, um, Teresa, Luke, um, what, Zach? I think, I think the thing is that some of that, well, great, would come down to the fact that at that point, at earlier points in the season, they did not know they were for sure being canceled. And they didn't want to treat the last season as a final season. Because if you notice, for a long time, it did feel like they were working up things. There's things that they're like... That um, Ryan and... Tr- Ryan and Teresa. Ryan and Taylor yeah. romance stretched out. Like, that stretched out way too long. Yeah. And same thing with a lot of the Chris Pratt stuff. Which is why I think that also the um, Ryan and Teresa, the reason why we sort of mentioned, like, and then now they're just together, and they had to do that final episode. Where they like, were, like, looking at each other? Is Well, the final episode, um, uh, like, temporary oh, breakup. Oh, broke up, yeah. yeah. Is because they probably still, until they heard, you're not coming back for season five. Because from what I read, obviously, obviously um, Josh Schwartz wanted... Obviously, he wanted the series to keep going, but a lot of the actors were like, this probably is this the... This feels pretty done. This feels pretty done. Um, I imagine he probably was holding on for a while. That like, oh, yeah, maybe we'll, they will break up at the end of the season. Like, he, like he was... It did feel like a lot of storylines were kind of just stalling being until they figured out, are we coming back or not? And then once they figured they're not coming back, they kind of had to rush through a whole bunch of things. And, like, I get that it would have been... A little shoehorned, because the flash forwards were good in the final episode, but like they had to have known for the last like four episodes probably that they were done. Yeah. How expensive could most of those actors have been at that time? Okay, Alex, <laughs> Olivia Wilde was I think her career was picking up. Yeah. But like the actor who played Luke. Yeah, I don't. Lindsay. Yeah. Zach. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's. It just. You know, because they brought back Holly so many times that season. Holly was in like four episodes. It's it's very clear that the actress the same, was she that the same actress? Someone? Was that the same actress? I think so. Even the same actress. I mean, I do understand, but at a certain point, when you know you've only been ordered for sixteen episodes, I just think you gotta you gotta try. And you know what? Maybe you bring all those people back, and people love it. And maybe you do get reordered. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, the the actress who played Holly Fisher uh, was the same actress all the way through. She only appeared in season one and season four. 
<laughs> I just don't get it. Why Holly? I mean, I guess because she embolizes everything that Newport is. And she's like the next generation of it. Like, this is not ending with Julian Kirsten's generation. <laughs> this is moving forward. My favorite thing is that her, that's, so she was there in season one. And then I think she's there essentially up until right after Marissa has the overdose. Yeah. And like, she's there to like essentially bully Marissa about that after she slept with Luke. And then she disappears from everything forever. And then she comes back to... she do you, The first episode she comes back in as well... Is the mini comas episode. Yeah, she comes back inside of a coma world. But then she's there in the real world. <laughs> Which maybe just means that coma just created Holly again. Like Everyone she, she, forgot about her until Ryan and yeah, Taylor remembered her for some she, reason. She became a sort of uh, psychopomp <laughs> to carry them into the afterlife. So was she never really there at all? Oh, was no. she just a spirit? Uh, who knows? It was created by Ryan and, uh, Taylor. and Taylor, but Summer interacted with her the most. And then, and then Kirsten. I, I can't get over in the fourth season, Kirsten. Kirsten's whole thing about being like, well, maybe maybe this place does uh, suck and we don't want to live here anymore because I talked to Holly and she made fun of me and other perfectly nice people. Like... <laughs> Well, Holly didn't make fun of Kirsten. Holly was just like, right. you better not become fat like that woman who's right, yeah. a perfectly thin pregnant lady. <laughs> the fact that we that in the scene that makes her be like, everybody here is terrible, the, she, her attention is dr- directly directed to people who probably are not terrible like Holly is. A perfectly normal person who yeah. she could maybe make friends with. Yeah, and then doing a weird retcon on um, uh, Spitzy's wife. <laughs> Yeah, because there's no way early, like, there's no way that Brie Blair yeah. would be calling Spitzy while he's out golfing with his friend, being like, are you having fun, baby? Yeah, it's, it, well, especially he's doing that entire scene, he's clearly like, oh, God, oh, no. Oh, I'm so embarrassed oh, by, my, my, oh, by my wife. Oh, what's that? Our relationship sure is in a bad state. Now, can we talk about how the characters that changed the most over the four seasons of the show, against all odds, are Summer Roberts and Julie Cooper Nichols? Uh, yeah. Summer's yep. journey was good. Summer Summer had the most complete arc, essentially from being a totally enti- vapid, very vapid, girl. Se- self-involved to being a very self less and driven she's a woman who she became a woman who learned about the world around her yeah and learned that she could engage with it rather than just ignoring it yeah and the world engaged with her back in such a way and she i mean she definitely grew the most became a better person Mm. but i think she had the most realistic arc like lots of women and lots of men yeah go through that from high school to college she had the most teenager arc yeah. Like her arc of, or she had the arc of a of your average teenager from going from a place where you are somewhat self consumed. Well, I I don't even think, I'm not even saying self self consumed or you, insular. You, yeah, you're kind of you 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 grow up in a way where you have a small group and you only have to engage with a small group, your mm-hmm. family, your friends, very small world you have to engage with, and then you get. A job, and all of a sudden, the world you have to engage with gets bigger. And the thing with Summer is, she had her Newport people. And then she met people slightly different, yeah. Ryan and Seth, 
And then she met people like Teresa and she met people like Crunchy Chris Pratt. Yeah. And it's it's why usually I uh, not get into anything here, but why I usually uh, don't think homeschooling is good, not because of any sort of poor teaching or anything like that, but because you're not meeting enough different people. Yeah. Socialization is so important in human and it doesn't stop when you're a teenager. As you get older, it's the more people you meet, the more well-rounded of a person you become. And it's important to have socialization in non-formal or informal contexts. So it's not just like in a classroom setting, it's walking down the halls with people or having to work on a group project so you're like interacting with people who aren't like i mean i guess this is like caitlin and will yeah having to work on a group project together yeah um because it's in an informal setting and you get to learn about other people and how they think and how they work and what their world is like and the person who had the weirdest arc going off of that then was caitlin she only had arc for one season but it was so it was so fuzzy it was so unclear what they wanted her to do because we had the party scene where in the party episode so she she talks to some girls and she kind of blows them off because that's who caitlin is and then she sees them because they're doing they're doing the the invitations for someone else's party and then they don't they just they get bullied by a girl yeah. being you're not coming to my birthday party and caitlin's like how dare you be a bully I I will have a party at my house, and I invite everyone to come to it. And then the party happens, and she looks around for a little while where everything goes in fast motion, like, I never wanted this. I'm like, no, you didn't. No, well, because that girl <laughs> comes to her and says, oh, well, you got it. You run the school now. And Caitlin's like, I don't want to run the school. <laughs> well, I, I just wanted people to feel included, I guess. Well, yeah, like, it. <laughs> even that girl kind of, like, it, it's... The actions she seems to take in that episode don't mesh with the lesson she seems to learn from it. Which is she doesn't need any of those people. She just needs her two best friends. <laughs> but what she but what she was doing was not trying to get more friends. What she was doing was trying to... Make everyone feel included, I think. I, the, the All I can imagine that really what that was is that she was trying to essentially punk the... Uh, the popular girl by having a party by like essentially taking everyone from her party like mm -hmm. she she all she didn't want to be the queen of the school she just wanted to mess with that person and then she did and then she did and then she was done with it and then she was done with it but they portray in this way where she's looking at all the party people and like is this really what I want and I'm like was this ever what you wanted well I mean it was at the end of season three. Right, yes. Then they decided Which is not why to. Why maybe that episode should have come earlier in the season, so she could have been like, wait, I don't want to run Harbor. In, in, in which way, it really also should have been set up in a way where it's very clear that, what, that that's what she wanted. Yeah, she wanted to run Harbor. And yeah. she was like, wait, this is not what I want. What do I want? And it's, and it's wait, funny. what I want is a dad. <laughs> yeah, and it's fine if she very quickly figures out that's not what she wants. But that was like episode five or six where she did that, and it should have been like episode two. Yeah, it, it should have been during the whole Marissa fallout thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Caitlin's arc was bumpy. It ended in a great way, and who knew that we would love Bullet the way we did? Yeah. That was an unknowable development. Yeah, Bullet's a hard man to love, but also an easy man to fall in love with. <laughs> So let's talk about Julie, Julie Cooper Nickel, yeah. who, against all odds, <laughs> against them, she changed the most out of any character. She did. A, a, a lot of it was so. 
here's here, here's the thing about ensemble casts. Ensemble casts allow you to do different story, not even stories, but story structures with different people. Julie was someone who had things happen to her, and she would react to them, which is why it was so infuriating in season four. When it was like, you don't have to seek out a man. Well, well, and also, I mean, the whole, uh, she stumbled into being a madam, and then... And was helpless against it. Helpless against not being able to do it. Uh, so, like, all of her mo- good moments are usually moments where she does take charge of her situation. Yeah. Which is why the her ending was actually very good. Or, like, when she, um... Threatened to call in a bomb threat on Taylor's mom so that Taylor's mom would be a good mom. Yeah, yeah. She also has... She she does, if, if you want to take a little bit of fridge logic here, if you think about her storyline a little bit too much, there's a lot of dropout points there. But in an over-season, four-season arc of looking at where she began and where she ended, she probably... I mean, I guess to be fair, she was often taking action. Yeah. Like, she was determined that she was going to seduce Caleb because she was going to create a future for herself and her daughters. I I just <laughs> I just always think back to when she was going to straight up kill him, and then he did one kind of... No, I think what he said to her is, hey, you're not so bad. And she went, well, I guess I can't kill him now. I mean, if that's what you need to not kill a man. Yeah, it's it's the sort of thing like, well, I mean, I'm glad, but it's so weird for someone to get up to the point of doing that. It'd be like, oh, man, he, he, he didn't even compliment her. He just said, you're fine. I guess, to be fair, season three, when they lived in the trailer park, that was a lot of Julie being like, definitely need to stop marrying rich men. <laughs> Yeah. I gotta figure this out. And she didn't figure anything out. She did nothing. And then yeah. Neil just, like, was charming for a million years until she dated him. Yeah. Yeah. But I guess season three was about her being like, nope, Julie Cooper is gonna Julie Coop. The, the, the th- she just the, wildly failed at it. And the problem that, that sort of keeps happening with Julie, um, and this is more of Julie as a character, not Julie as a person, is that she constantly gets rewarded for bad behavior for bad behavior so she honestly has no reason really to act well until caitlin would look at her sadly (laughs) maybe marissa should have been doing more of that instead of just screaming and throwing chairs into pools it's true the unfortunate thing is that marissa wanted to fight her mom and then her but her mom would be like why are you fighting me i'm constantly winning uh caitlin would just be like mom think about it and she'd be like oh mom can we have ice cream? Too busy for ice cream. Mom. <laughs> Doing what? Tell me right. Tell me what your plan is to do today, Thanks- Julie. Thanksgiving. I have to make Thanksgiving. No, you don't. <laughs> I I have to send Ryan to kill a man. Julie. Season four, Julie Cooper had kind of a job for a little bit. Then she wrecked it. Then she. <laughs> then she was forced to be a madam. It. It's so. It's so weird, weird to me that like they 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 ended on the the story of essentially yeah she can stand on her own and do her own thing except for she lives definitely still lives in Neil's house and definitely bullet paid definitely for that education bullet degree paid for that education but that's fine you're gonna that's help fine. You're gonna he's help, her friend you're gonna have help from the people around you you don't you don't have to be an island you can be an archipelago. Um, <laughs> or a peninsula. Or a peninsula, which is not an island. <laughs> at all. <laughs> at all. Uh, but, you know, every peninsula needs its... 
Oh my god, it was my head that left. Is- Ithmus. Ooh. Yes, that's what it's called. The mm-hmm, thing mm-hmm. that connects a peninsula. Uh, <laughs> but I remember I was going before we started talking about islands. Julie Cooper isn't does not have to be an island. She can have supports. Yeah, but before that, she is just just sort of getting what <laughs> she kind of just needs just in the situation. Scheming and somehow succeeding. Yeah, like, like if they're going to end with the with her standing on her own and do and like that is the story they're doing is that she succeeded. Weirdly enough, she probably should have fought for her whole been a little bit more into the whole prostitution thing, as opposed to being like, oh, well, like Spencer says that his friends are prostitutes, Whoa. so I guess yeah, like like. like she didn't have to stand and be like, I'm going to keep being a madam and saying out my male prostitutes. But she should have at least said something to Kirsten being like... empowering or something. Yeah, like, like, hey, I have nothing. You run this. This is, like, this is the only thing I can do because Neil left. Like, she should have had some moment there of, of like, hey, I at least I did something. Instead of her just being like, oh, but Kirsten, no. No, Kirsten, no. Kirsten, have you noticed that our business has been, you know, 30% busier <laughs> over the last two months? Do you wonder why? It's because of my hot boys. Because the prostitute. That's Look, I give the women what they want. This is a viable business model, <laughs> you Kirsten. Give, you give them nothing. You give them old men who look like bullets. And, and all they want is to have quick sex flings in hotel rooms with 20 year olds i love that kirsten put herself in the weird just to make sure it was happening just to make sure it was happening oh god that entire storyline and then that was the introduction of frank the the way that frank really got into her heart was being like hey you could do this prostitution i know i tried to blackmail you but uh you could make money of your own. But look, I cooked your books for you, so you didn't really do it on your own. <laughs> yeah, it's not great. But she does have the biggest change, despite them constantly folding her back into being a villain. And then they, the, 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 transi- the overall transition is great. Some of the immediate in-episode transitions mm. weren't. Some of entire seasons, the entirety of season three... Where she tried to um, frame Ryan for murder. <laughs> yeah. And then she cosplayed as a poor. Yeah. And then, well, I guess then she got got together with Neil, and I did like that. Yeah. I mean, the, the thing, we sort of mentioned this uh, beforehand, but the way that the story structures are set up in the OC is that each season kind of feels like it's two seasons of stories. True. Because they kind of split it in half and have here's the beginning end stuff and here's the end stuff. When she tried to put Marissa against her will into inpatient therapy and made Marissa think that therapy was a bad thing. (laughs) Whereas if there's one thing Marissa Cooper needed, it was a professional that she could talk about her feelings to once a week. Yeah. Unfortunately, she did that for a while. And then Oliver just said, no, you don't need therapy. What you need is me. (laughs) Oliver's the kind of person the therapist should be like, you need to arrive exactly when you're... Oliver, you're not allowed to be in the waiting room. We have a private room for you to sit in. Because I'm aware of your narcissistic and compulsive lying tendencies. Yeah, the the idea of him sitting in the lobby of the, of the therapist he goes to and just being like, no, we don't need therapy. This is definitely a good thing we are doing right now. We, t- You and me, 
<laughs> we don't need this. We're already past this. Yeah. At that point, though, wasn't she living with Jimmy? So it was really Jimmy who dropped the ball on parenting, which Jimmy Cooper oh. at all times was the worst <laughs> parent he was worse than Taylor Townsend's mom. Oh, w- a worse dad. Worse dad. Like, he, he just... It, the the fact that he's leaving... His leaving her, Marissa was like, Marissa, <laughs> I'm such a bad dad to you, so I have to leave. <laughs> what? Oh, my God. Do you remember when he dated Kristen's baby sister, who was, like, 25? Uh, Aaron, we cannot get into ages. <laughs> We cannot figure this out. No, we know how old we know how old Kristen and Jimmy are. The answer is forty. The show told us, and we know that her baby sister, whose name I cannot remember, <laughs> is twenty five. And I mean, yes, you can date someone who's fifteen years younger than you, but that was not about that. That was about Jimmy being like, "I'm going to reclaim the youth I never got." <laughs> I'm Jimmy Cooper. I always put myself in my boat dreams first. I'm not a dad. I'm a boat boy. Oh. Yeah, but boy. Um, so he was, uh, speaking of Jim Cooter, he was ranked 8th by Entertainment Weekly on the list of the worst dads in television history. Wow. 8th. Now, to be fair, I do think 8th is about right where he should sit. Because yeah, there's, yeah. there's some actively terrible dads, and he's more of passively horrible. Now, is Frank Atwood higher than him? Because I would argue that Frank... I don't know the Frank Frank being is the Is Frank worse than Jimmy though? Frank being the impetus of the series. I think he uh, well because here's the thing. Here's the thing. You can you when we think of dad, like the the position of dad, it is based on the people around you. Not you is how the people around you are faring with what you are doing. It's not true. person. True, true. Um so we see every person Frank is interacted with, which is Don and Trey and Ryan. And the only reason they are not absolute messes right now is because he's not around because anymore. Because he got put in jail. Mm-hmm. And Frank even makes Julie worse. Like, think about how fun and sassy <sighs> and funny she is with Bullet. And with Frank and them, they're just sort of like, I mean, it's sort of what Ryan and Marissa did to each other. Which is, we belong together. Well, I guess we belonged. We... <laughs> As Frank said, because we're from the same world. Can we talk about how the show is not great at chemistry? I feel like the casting directors never put the actors who were going to be in couples together in the same room together ever. Like, can you think of a single couple where you're like, oh, they were so... Marissa and Alex. Yeah. They had great chemistry. Yeah. The Early Seth and Summer... Have good chemistry. Do you know who? Do you know though had the best chemistry? Ryan and Summer. Yeah. <laughs> like not in their not a romantic scenes. way, but their friendship. Like when she's gonna choke him. Yes. <laughs> Actually, you know what? Ryan and Taylor did have really good chemistry. Yeah, yeah, they're fine. Uh, I just wanted to just mention a little bit more of Jimmy Cooper. Josh Schwartz has once referred to the character as a cat. <laughs> He's a cat. Well, like he is his, a cat. His character type is a cat. He's kind of like a cat. He's 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 very loving, but also incredibly flighty. I mean, he's not wrong. And destroys everything he touches. Like a cat. Like a cat. Always chewing on his own tail, like a cat. <laughs> Hanging out in the baby's room instead of letting the baby sleep in the room, like a cat. Yeah. Uh, here's what we're going through through uh, characters. Uh, K- remember Caleb? 
from season one to season two. Oh, Caleb. That, that they're like, they set him up that, that there's one thing he had. Like, he's a terrible man. Like, he's a terrible father. He's a, he's a cruel man, but there's one thing he had. He's a good businessman. Except for he's not. But once he died, well, we need to make the storyline interesting. So turns out he has no money and also destroyed the Newport group. Turns out he, he turns out the one thing everyone was like, well, it's the one thing he had. He what he didn't have that. He was just terrible all the way through. And by association, it made Kirsten terrible. Like I know she was only in charge of one division, but you're telling me that Kirsten Cooper, mm, Kirsten Cooper, no, Kirsten Nichols. Kirsten Cohen yeah. had no... <laughs> well, I mean, she was Kirsten Nichols, but yeah. you're yeah. saying that Kirsten had no idea that the rest of the company was unsuccessful and only, only the uh, residential housing division was doing well, which should... Because she ran. She <laughs> ran the Newport group. Yeah, it's... She and Julie ran it. Yeah, it's... Oh, right, when that happened. Um, it really does seem... It, it it makes it seem like she really got her position through like this sort of like cloistered nepotism, where he's like, "Well, you're in charge of this," but and, and whenever she tried to do anything else, he would just she's like she wouldn't. She doesn't know anything about the rest of the business. She just keeps in that thing because you know her dad run. Like it's really what made it feel yeah, like, which would have been fine until she took it over. <laughs> yeah, until there was a time when he didn't when he just didn't run it. And she never figured out that it was unsuccessful, and the money was all being embezzled. I guess. Oh, I can't even remember how. Ooh, that... you know what? The guy who worked on the magazine with them—he actually had good chemistry with Kirsten and with Julie. Oh, the um, yeah, I can't yeah. remember. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, of course, Kirsten and Sandy have good chemistry, yeah. but the problem is Kirsten and Sandy's chemistry is too good. So anytime you try to, like, put con... Because they would try yeah. every season to be like, well, I mean, maybe there's some Cohen family conflict. And it just... The way that they wrote it just always made Kirsten seem like a shrew. Yeah, it... And I don't... I don't know if they just didn't know how to... Like, if they were too afraid to make Sandy be Shades of Grey. But even, even Kirsten, like, it's not even like she was... Like every single time they put Kirsten in that, that position, it didn't seem like, oh, she's a bad person. It's like, oh, why is this happening? Why? And even the way the actress delivered the lines, it was like, why am I mad about this? What is going on? Why do I hate this hospital? <laughs> it's a hospital. <laughs> do I hate that Sandy has a job? But in season four, she doesn't hate that he has a job. <laughs> in season four, she loves his job. Yeah, in season four, she's high on them baby hormones. That's true. I guess. She was pregnant the entire season. Yep. yep. Yeah. Remember when Sandy had his beach detective business? Oh, yeah. His <laughs> beach lawyer. Sandy yeah. Sandy Cohen. Beach lawyer. <sighs> Maybe Peter Gallagher just can't play. No. Have you no. seen the movie Center Stage? Yeah, no. He can play. He can play unlikable. He, 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 the, thing, the thing about Peter Gallagher is that like he looks like he should be playing like the rich bad guy in every like he looks like he, he looks like the guy who should be buying trying to buy the community center and tear <laughs> yes. it down and he also plays hapless cat really well like when he plays schmidt's dad on new girl yeah he's like a likable dope who just f's up all over the place yeah, yeah. and you know doesn't realize that his actions have repercussions so it's not it's not a peter gallagher issue yeah it it's like so, I carrying on with the characters because uh, that's what we like. Yeah, Sandy 
he's think Sandy actually had no arc, which is fine. Sandy had zero arc. He started as a guy who didn't like Newport but loved his wife, so yeah. he stayed in Newport. And he ended as a guy who didn't like Newport but loved his wife. And now his wife doesn't like Newport either. So they went back to where he likes. <laughs> where he likes. But he would have stayed. Yeah, no, he 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 just liked <laughs> he was so easygoing. And once again with an ensemble cast, that works fine. He is more of a using a cliche, the wise mentor character. I say, he's a tool for the storylines that when yeah. characters don't know what to do, Sandy will pontificate about something which may be related to their storyline, but may be related to his storyline, but either way it'll help you. Yeah. And we'll see if you agree with this. Kirsten also didn't have an arc. She had things happen to her. But she didn't change. But she didn't change. Like I guess she doesn't drink alcohol now. But that was never once she decided not to drink, like, once she became an alcoholic and came yeah. clean, it never impacted her life. No, it was it was, it was was a sort of off... Like, they could make jokes about it sometimes. Yeah. Um, and even when she... when Oh, I don't want to make fun of someone who's an alcoholic. Even when she was drinking, they would, they would frame it in very poor ways. Like, we never realized she was an alcoholic until the show told us that. Yeah, I mean, the, they the the way that they would normally do it is they'd be like something stressful happens, so she goes into the kitchen, pulls out alcohol, and you're like, okay, you can start to see that. Yeah, you could start to see a pattern, but also, yeah, and like it never. I mean, I guess it doesn't impact your life until it does. Yeah, which though she she was an alcoholic before Caleb died, but then it only impacted her life. Well, I mean, I guess that is how this works. Yeah, it only impacted her life after Caleb died. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, but she did get sh- scammed by that woman. That was an interesting storyline. I yeah. liked that one. Yeah, yeah, where... <laughs> yeah, that... Oh, God, who who's the actress? Um, the she woman was, from... She plays six... Does it play like Six of Nine? Or... Yeah, she plays Six of Nine. J- Jerry... It's, yeah, it's Jerry something. Yeah. Um, I did like that storyline. That yeah, was very that, good. Yeah, that was a... <laughs> was very fun. And I, I like it when I first saw it. We couldn't figure out if she loved her <laughs> or if she was going to scam <laughs> because her. the way that they framed it made, like she just sort of appears and then stares at her it did seem like she was in love with kirsten yeah but no she just wanted to just wanted to scam her and actually that was a story arc that gave julie great stuff to do because julie was able to use her background and her skills and her knowledge yeah. to get rid of the other woman though for a while she worked with her that's true because she was forced to <laughs> because i had to she told me i needed money and i did need money <laughs> <laughs> Julie's entire thing is people being like, but don't you need money? And her being like, oh, maybe I do. <laughs> Aaron, I have a question for you. We have to figure this out now. Um, did, just to like to to cap off this, this, this series, did Neil ever kick Julie out of his house? No, but I think Summer had to be allowed to live there anytime she wanted. Yeah, like I know... That for like Summer's left sort of, but he what, the thing that he that he said the one reason he was also keeping the house around because he wants Summer a place that Summer could go back to essentially. Yeah. So no, I think I think Julie still lives there. I think that house just exists for any for for anyone passing through town who needs a place to stay. Come to Neil's house, which is wild because Neil lives in Seattle, and Seattle's housing is definitely as expensive as. Well, he's he's wildly rich. He he is a plastic surgeon at Seattle Grace. He, much like Bullet, has infinite money. I think Bullet has double infinite money, though. I wonder. 
wouldn't it have been better? Well, no, I guess the house would just be sitting empty. Like, Neil would want his house to be used. Yeah. Because Julie could have moved to that other house the bullet bought. Yeah, no, that's that's the uh, the other thought I had was that I guess Julie could just live in the house that he bought on a whim. <laughs> so that Sandy and Kristen had time to make decisions. <laughs> so he just bought a house on a whim. I mean, he probably also could just resell it. Maybe that house, though, exists to be a house when people are passing through town. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I love the way that the show treats money. I want to tell you something. For, well, sorry, just very, very quickly. For a yeah. show about um, wealth and poor inequality, money is never really a factor in the show. Even Ryan. Like, there are a couple of episodes where Ryan's like, oh, you buy things for me. Yeah. Like, he's upset about the cell phone, I think, because he doesn't want them to just give him a cell phone. Yeah. But once Ryan moves in with the Coens... Money is never an issue for Ryan, except for that one summer where he moves home to raise Teresa's baby. Yeah, and there was, and I and I guess you could say the after the Newport group, like after learning that actually Caleb was a terrible businessman. Uh, but then again, money was they just wanted to keep the Newport group around. Like, oh, you're gonna have to sell off the Newport group. Yeah, and, and they're like, like, no, but I care about it. No, and like Julie was money was always an issue for Julie, mm-hmm. but like money absolutely should have been an issue for the Coens at some point. The things that happened to the Coens and their job situation, unless Sandy or Kirsten are very, very savvy with investments, which maybe they are. Yeah. The the problem that comes down to is that with all the talk about it was like, oh, you know, Sandy going off and getting this job and Kirsten doing this and doing this. It seems very clear that the Coens also have infinite money. Because that Berkeley house, let me tell you, I've been watching a lot of real estate stuff. Yeah. That Berkeley house was probably worth well over a million. Yeah. Significantly oh, I, I, over a million. And considering how much they probably, uh, the that nice couple probably... Asked for. <laughs> asked for. When they abandoned their home. <laughs> yeah, just being like, you know what? Fine. But, so I've been watching Selling Sunset a lot, yeah. which is a show that takes place in LA, where they're selling like millions and millions dollar houses. Yeah. There is no way... The Cohen house only has three bedrooms and a pool house. <laughs> I have seen so many houses on that show, and I have not seen a single house that has less than four bedrooms. Yeah, I mean, they, they, when they were looking at the houses, they said, this one has six bedrooms, like every other house we look at in this area. I'm like, there's no way yours is the that only far. one. <laughs> that far off from there. And I guess they wanted Ryan to have privacy, but then it's always such a thing like, who's going to stay where? Well, what is this? You know, renting the pool house is makes sense because the the the, uh, the idea being like, well, I mean, he's kind of grown. Yeah. Well, no, I think it's more is more of them being like, being like, you know, he needs maybe he needs space, yeah. or maybe there was an, uh, a thing off camera where Kirsten because remember Kirsten was mean to him in the beginning. She was, was like, she was I like, don't no, no, if I want him in my house, no, Sandy, he can he can live in the pool house and we'll lock the doors. Yeah. <laughs> like you know that might have been she, it. And as you well. know what? That's totally fair. She didn't know and him. Then, and then at that point, it just became comfortable that that's where he lives. Because as a point, you might be like, do you want to move inside? Because at that point, you bring up the fact that, that he doesn't live inside. But else is cool. He gets his own place. But there have been episodes where there's like, oh, but the sister of Kirsten's already living here. So where's Trey going to live? Yeah, they, do, or... they, do a, they do a lot of weird room. Like, like oh, when well, Marissa comes to live there, like, well, where's she going to sleep? She... <laughs> when in the other many rooms, probably next to Seth's. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's all for the drama. It's all a CW moment. <laughs> yes, yeah, yes, and, and indeed it was. Uh, so, as we're wrapping up here, uh, I think we'll we'll go through some of the uh, some of the the stuff that other people have said. Absolutely. Uh, that. So, season one of the OC and season two are the ones that have been, have the the 
the best critical response. Makes sense. Uh, there that, and we're just going to talk critics here. Cause it's a lot easier to get critics' responses than it is just get basic audience. We're not going to just go find old message boards from 1995 <laughs> and be like, "What are people?" Or sorry, 2005, and being like, "What are people saying?" Yeah, um, a lot of people still think the first season is the best season. Um, I do want to point out this one review that came from uh, San Jose Mercury News. Ooh. Who criticized the first season and the casting, saying that the storylines usually involve the obligatory three-episode arc, drug problems, or lost virginity, with dialogue designed to keep a dog up to speed. What? And I'm not sure if I agree with... I mean, yes, the... I don't know the, the obligatory three-episode arcs. I guess I just don't watch a lot of teen dramas. Well, I didn't feel like there were three-episode arcs. Like, three, well, three-episode arc drug problems. But I would say that Marissa's, Marissa's drug problem is long, is long keep, lasting. and keeps coming up. And, like, um, not Zach, Luke's dad issues. Yeah. Those are ongoing. I think for the first the first season, what sort of gets a problem with getting later season, the first season does a pretty good job of keeping its lore... In control. Even Bolivar sticks around for a while. <laughs> a while, yeah. Um, and Teresa, and I guess the first season is where we get the Eddie turn. Mm-hmm. And I don't like the Eddie. Is it when we get the Eddie turn? Um, yeah, because it doesn't. Because season yeah, one ends season with Ryan leaving. Yeah. Keep on. You have to. I always remember them by the how they end. Season one ends with Ryan leaving. Season two ends with Caleb dying. And ends with Trey raping Marissa and yeah. then almost killing Ryan. Well, yeah. The well, essentially the shot. Yeah. Since the shot. In what you say? Two, yeah, two ends with Caleb dying. Yeah. Um, three ends with Marissa dying. Yeah. And then four ends the series. Um, I didn't like the Eddie turn. That was poorly done. Yeah. It didn't make sense. <laughs> it didn't make sense. Because we met, we met Eddie. There's and some... I know people are different behind closed doors, but we also met Eddie behind closed doors. Yeah. There's a lot of, some retconning there. Um, the, oh. the, 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 also thing that the dialogue design. So we actually, interesting enough, we watched this series as someone would in time. We watched it. Week, week by week. Week by week. And we took we, breaks. We took breaks to watch Riverdale. And then we came back to it. And I don't feel like the... I feel like the dialogue obviously was designed to make sure you understood what was going on. And I mean, they did always have the Ryan and Seth catch him up. Yeah, but I think that's actually a fine... I, I, think, I think these days we're not so used to it, so we pay more attention. But the Ryan and Seth catch him up is intended intended to catch them up, but yeah. it's also intended to build the relationship between Ryan and Seth yeah. because of how they choose to explain what's going on and how they choose to support each other. And usually it's the moment where they decide what they're going to do for the second half of the episode. Yeah. And they usually also have a Marissa and Summer catch him up. Yeah, just the Ryan and Seth are more interesting. Yeah. And also happen more clearly. Yeah. Uh, and then said... Whoever at Fox thought Benjamin McKenzie could pass for anything longer than 25 should be fired. I would say first season... No, he's, first season Benjamin McKenzie looks older than his he looks, characters. He looks older than 15. But I don't think 25. 25 is absurd because we saw what he looked like when he was 25. Yeah. Which is final season Ben McKenzie. Yeah. Like, I... I, I think... I don't know. It's that's, he, that's unnecessarily mean. Yeah, I don't think... I, I don't think he looks... They think he looks older than Luke? Yeah, they think he looks older than 25. Because Luke look, I'd say Luke looks like 19. Well, and it's like, we're also compared to, like, KJ Appa, who was... Was 19! When the, when the series began. And I would say Benjamin McKenzie looks comparable to KJ Appa. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
the second season is widely regarded as uh, familiar, but you know, uh, sorry, as inferior, but you know, generally positively. They they really like the um, bisexual romance between um, Alex and Marissa, uh, and they did it managed to it managed to surpass in writing as what could have just been a ratings ploy mm, and become yeah. one of the better Marissa plot lines. Yes, at absolutely. Least, at least initially. Um, <laughs> until, until we got into the part where she moved out of her mom's house. And, and then Alex became somehow a gang leader. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. It's unclear. And But that was a great storyline with Marissa not understanding what it means to support yourself yeah. and to operate in the real world. Uh, then then uh, season three was critically not very well received, um, with a big one sort of being that it had far... Too much time and too many episodes spent with Johnny. People really didn't like Johnny. Yeah, I really didn't like Johnny, that surf emo. <laughs> yeah. And then I thought we were done with him, and then he came back. Yeah, and then he and then died. he died. <laughs> and then we had Sadie. He got hit by a car, and then he died. Separate things. Yep, <laughs> yep. he is both hit by a car and then fell off a cliff. Uh, and, one of those killed him. And then we got Sadie, who was a better Johnny. Sadie was essentially Johnny, but better. Though she made no sense. Why did she stick around for so long? Why did she keep threatening Ryan that she was going to leave? Why did she eventually leave? Why was Ryan comfortable about moving to Berkeley with Ta- with uh, Sadie, but not comfortable moving to Berkeley with Taylor? <sighs> I mean, th- I mean, I would say that could be once again a show. Unfortunately, because they really want to be oh, Ryan, Ryan and Marissa. No, it's Ryan and Marissa. Oh yeah, Remember meant to be. They were meant to be. So when she died, all of a sudden he wasn't comfortable with moving relationships with anyone anymore. <laughs> like we got to such a good point where they were friends. They were real friends who realized they had value in each other's lives, but were better apart. It was so good. And then she died, and they decided actually he loved her. True love. True love. True love. It's true love, bro. I Do you s- even love, bro? <laughs> I will say season two had the best music. Season two was the one where we had like, a, where you had a lot of bait iconic. shot. Yeah, season two was bait shot live shows. Yeah. And, like, just the most iconic movement, like, when Summer and Seth have their um, kiss in the rain to, um, oh, my God, what's it called? Uh, kiss from a rose. <laughs> no. Um, champagne Supernova. Oh, yeah. And um, Caleb's funeral to um, what you say. <laughs> Imogen Heap. Yep, yep. And, like, all the bait shop scenes. Like, season two. Best music. Yeah. So we're going to wrap this up, uh, wrap up our OC, time with the OC, but uh, I do want to, as we are coming to this, I want to read to you, Aaron, the uh, the breakdown of what we just watched. This is what, um, this is what essentially Wikipedia has broken down uh, this series into. And I thought it would be a nice, you know, and you can tell me if you agree with these things. The series centers on Ryan Atwood, a troubled and gifted young man from a broken home. Yeah, All right. uh, he's gifted with architecture. architecture. <laughs> I would not say that is the like saying the he's a trouble gifted, gifted young man makes it seem like oh, but actually like he it makes it seem like he's an X Men. Well, I'm, uh, like the said, only reason that Sandy took him in was because of his X Men powers. I was going to make it make it seem like one of those feel good movies where where it's like a beautiful not a beautiful mind. Um, oh, uh, the Goodwill Hunting. 
I was going to say the football one with Sandra Bullock. The blind side? Yeah. Except for that one, I guess that one's gifted. Anyway, gifted this, at football. Yeah, this makes it seem like he's, you know, the intelligence from a broken home who was adopted by a wealthy and philanthropic Sandy and Kirsten Cohen. Hmm. Ryan and his foster brother Seth, a socially awkward, quick-witted teenager, hmm. deal with life as outsiders in the high-class world of Newport Beach. Seth and Ryan spend much of the time navigating their relationships with girl next door, Marissa Cooper, mm. Seth's childhood crush, Summer Roberts, mm. and the fast-talking loner, Ta- Taylor Townsend. She gets mentioned in the main thing. <laughs> <laughs> because now she's a part of the core four. Yep, not even eventually she arrives, but fast-talking loner, Taylor she, Townsend. She is a fast-talker. That is how she's portrayed in season four. That is not how she's introduced. In season three, she's very popular. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Storylines deal with the culture clash between the idealistic Cohen family and the shallow materialistic and closed-minded community in which they reside. Mm -hmm. True. Uh, Julie. Yeah, yeah. The series includes elements of postmodernism and functions as a mixture of melodrama and comedy. Yeah, it's it's good at times when it does really push the melodrama and the comedy. There's a few times there where it's unclear what they're going for. It's a little boring. It's a little boring. Kevin? I'm going to point something out to you. Yeah. We didn't talk about Ryan's arc or Seth's arc. We did not talk about them as characters. We, well, that's because we talked about Ryan the entire series. Well, and that's the thing with Ryan. Ryan is the key character, but you said this to me yeah. yesterday. We come to Ryan after the change. The yeah. change happens in episode one, the, and the, then he grows from the change. Yeah, which I'll, I'll, I guess I'll say for the audience. The interesting thing I find about the OC... And just before I get into that, the reason we didn't talk about Seth is Seth, I feel like the person we talked about the most while we were doing this show. We got a lot of Seth time. And the show really messed with Seth because they loved him so much that they made him wildly unlikable sometimes. And the show would have been much, much better if they had just made him a stoner all along. For some reason, the show wasn't comfortable with doing that, that they liked to show us lots of underage drinking. But if Seth had just been like a nerdy pot boy... The entire time. The entire time, I think it would have... Anyway. But... uh, it's very interesting the fact that the show, the Ryan's arc is less about like, oh, well, no, he came from a rough side. Now he has to navigate this world or he has to change who he is. It's not really about that. He, the change that he goes through happens very quickly on. And the rest of it is a, is somebody who has had a redemption kind of. I guess redemption is weird because it sort of implies that him being poor was a... a new s- <laughs> A, a change offered to him, a new start offered to him. Yeah, he, yeah, he's able to get out of this uh, potential cycle, cycle of poverty. Cycle of poverty because we saw what happened to Trey. Yep, um, and he sort of breaks from it in the first episode, really, and then everything is about everything else is about him after this change has occurred. It's a cool way of telling a story about the ramifications on others after someone has gone through their arc. Which well, I think the, the pilot is such a good TV show pilot. It's such a good pilot. Yeah. And I mean, yes, it ends with him trying to go back home and they're already gone and he's just silently taken back by Sandy. But so you wouldn't say that that was a good film. If you just watch it as a film, you'd like, be like, this is an unsatisfying film. But a pilot for a TV show, you're like, I need more of this. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I think it's I think it's interesting. It's great. And it's a very good show. And what I want to say as we reach the end here is... A very important line, which is an iconic moment of TV. Welcome to the OC, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Mm. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Of course. That was a good one. That's a good one, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 
it's, it's better when you don't say it with any of the inflection that Luke did. <laughs> just deadpan it out there. Mm, of course. Welcome to the OC, bitch. Hey, welcome to the OC, bitch. Uh. We should just greet all your friends like that. <laughs> welcome to the OC, bitch. And the OC is my living room. All right, so yeah, so we're uh, we're done with the OC. Uh, it will always be in our minds and in our hearts, I suppose. But it does mean that we need to figure out something to do because Riverdale isn't back yet. Riverdale's probably coming back in January. Uh, but we're not panicking. We don't. No, we have plans. We're dreading. <laughs> it's true. Oh, it's going to be a bumpy season with three episodes in teenhood and then the rest of the episodes five years later. I, I'm going to tell the audience right now, we are not going to treat... Those three, we we all like to talk a lot about like season arcs and season things because that is a big thing in TV now. If you're watching like Friends, obviously we're yeah, talking yeah. about ser- series arcs are not are actually a relatively new thing in the form of television. But um, these three episodes, we're not treating them as part of the season. We are very much aware they are a they're they're a part of season four that yeah. just came late. Yes, we. Unless if they do try to do some very weird things to make them work, like and they they try really hard to be like, no, it is same. Just just do the three episodes. Everyone gets it. Well, we're we're going to treat it kind of like the Luke Perry um, tribute episode. Yeah. It's its own thing. Yeah, yeah, their own uh, lo- a little mini series, I guess. But so we don't know exactly when it's coming back. We know January, assuming it doesn't get shut down too many times. Yeah. But we have plans. We have plans for what we're going to be doing. What we're going to be doing an episode next week. Oh, we, God. <laughs> we're here. We're coming. We are, for you, we are going to give you content. We are going to put ourselves through something. We're going to go back to, we did one of them, but there's still four more. We're going to watch Twilight. We're going to watch Twilight. <laughs> we're going to, starting next week with... Uh, New Moon? <laughs> What is the second one? Twi- I I I'm going to I'm going to give her the benefit of the doubt and say she did it in chronological order. So it would be Twilight, New Moon, New Moon, Breaking Dawn. No, Breaking no, Dawn's the last one. The, what's the one in between those two? Eclipse? No. Yeah, it's Eclipse. Eclipse. Is that the Eclipse. name of a? Is that the name of a? I of think a Twilight so. book. <laughs> Google this. Why oh, don't we no. know this? Oh God, the Twilight Saga. Oh, Why is God. this so hard? No, this Twilight Saga, New Moon, then Eclipse. Yeah. Then this... Breaking Dawn one, then Breaking Dawn two. Yeah. So it. <laughs> <laughs> Something's funny about New Moon and then Eclipse because a new moon is, is already what... dark. Well, a new one's also kind of an eclipse. It's true. Yeah. The Earth has cast its shadow on the moon. Yeah. But then the sun also casts its shadow on the moon, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. It just thinks being lined up in weird ways. Anyway, we're not going to be talking about that, but we are going to be watching watching Twilight uh starting with New Moon because we've already done the uh, the first Twilight and we're not watching it again to do another recap. Recap. So you can we just... can't put ourselves through that. Just know we liked the baseball scene. Yeah. That can, was about it. You can go back and you can uh, you can listen to that one and we'll be picking up a new moon next week and that well that won't keep us till June still January, but we have we have things planned. It's gonna be a bunch of films for a while, but Yeah. But you'll like it. Yeah. 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 We'll maybe like it. We'll see. <laughs> we'll definitely we'll definitely talk about uh talk about Twilight. Uh, we have a lot of thoughts of Twilight, and we, we, we want to be very clear here: we were, we're not doing meme Twilight hate here. This is not we're not, we're not being like, oh, Twilight. Uh, I have very specific and <laughs> feelings about Twilight and its place. 
we plan to critically analyze the construction of the storyline, the construction of the film, and the sociological implications of these storylines on the brains of young teenagers. Yes, because too many people already have the whole twat here because like, ah, something that teen girls like, and teen girls are already going through. They don't need more of that. Teen girls (laughs) like lots of good things, and they're allowed to like bad things. Yeah, just... It, it just let them happen. It's like not like GI Joe is <laughs> amazing. You know what? I'll tell you, I think Tyler Taylor Lautner is hot, and that's fine. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, that's what we're going to be doing next week. Uh, but for now, we're going to say goodbye. I guess we have no questions to ask you. We just want you to give us your rating, reviews, and subscriptions on Apple Podcast or your podcaster of choice. And we want you to tell us about your thoughts, your memories, your favorite characters, your guests star sightings on the OC. It's all at Podcast MOA, Podcast MOA, on Instagram, on Twitter, and at gmail.com. Alright, and we'll see you next week. Woo!